0: So just giving a smile No, that's a proper <laughs> <smile. Yeah. laughs> Okay, who are we? Okay, who yeah Alright, who, who are we? Who are we? Who are we? We are Holy Spirit empowered Serving like, like Jesus. Jesus We are We are We are The hospitable Family Of Jesus We are We are Strategic Missionaries For Jesus we are disciples devoted to Jesus. We are helping people find and follow Jesus. We are, we are, we are, city, gates. are city Gates. We are City Gates. Oh my gosh, you like, nailed it! <laughs> memory kicked in. <laughs> <laughs> Hi everybody. It's very lopsided on this side, eh? There's some empty chairs over here for those that are sitting way at the back. If we were a boat, we would be falling over. We'd be falling over this side. Uh, for those that don't know me, I'm Brian, and um, I'm going to be uh, preaching today. Just not what I normally do, so that's exciting. Uh, just got back from the UK. Um, Nessa and I were there for a grand total of four days, it was a good time. Um, We were there for the uh, global advanced conference and uh, hilariously, the whole week was like all about what I'm talking about. So that was really helpful kind of to hear. Um, Again, there were some times when I'm like, oh, I'm using that verse on Sunday. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Cool. So um, yeah, so we've been going through this series, uh, the Old Testament books, obviously. And the next one in line is Job, which is what I'm going to be speaking about. Um, But we've been kind of hearing this continual story, right? So it's like, You know, we hear the creation, and then there's this guy, Abraham, and all this kind of stuff comes out of him, and then there's this people, and they go through all these hardships, and God frees them from Egypt, and then they aren't very smart, and they make a lot of mistakes, and they end up in exile, and then, yeah. So we kind of heard this story. Um, Job is like a hard left. So we're just, we're just making a hard left. Uh, Job is not an Israelite. This doesn't take place in Israel. We don't know when it took place. We don't know who wrote the book. It's just a hard left. We're just, this is a completely unique book, so... Um, as some of my friends would say, there's no through line in this, uh, in this book. So, um, it is also likely the oldest book of the Bible. Cause interestingly, the timeline is probably somewhere before Moses and Moses wrote Genesis. So, uh, super old book. Again, we don't know the author. Um, and, uh, it just sort of stands on its own. We do know he was a real person though. He's actually referenced. Job is referenced in Ezekiel and in the book of James. But the point is all that stuff doesn't actually matter. Um, this book is really focused on one thing, which is suffering. This book is focused on suffering. Very exciting topic. Suffering. (laughs) It's gonna be a good time. Um, it teaches us how to go through suffering. It teaches us how to help others who are suffering. Um, and kind of addresses one of the biggest questions that anybody has ever had Christian or not, which is kind of why do bad things happen to good people? That's kind of the main question of the book. Um, how many of you heard that before somebody asked you that question why do bad things happen to good people or maybe another way how could god allow evil to exist how could a good god allow evil to exist in this world that's what this book is really kind of all about um and i felt like it was timely obviously i mean it's been an interesting last couple of years um we've had recently in our midst we've had death we've had disease um and i just feel like this book is very timely so really quick summary of the book um there's basically story at the beginning and end so there's two chapters at the beginning of "Once upon a time there was a guy named job you know and then at the end it was like and so this is what happened to job the end okay so that's kind of the the book ends so to speak then in the middle um there's like 40 chapters um or 38 chapters i guess in the middle um that's basically job kind of agonizing about his pain and his friend's arguing with him about why he's agonizing. That's kind of why does bad things happen, obviously. And they kind of go back and forth. And then at the end, God actually comes in to the conversation and speaks to Job directly. The thing is, that whole middle section is written poetically, like it's it's in prose or whatever. Uh, obviously not in English, so it doesn't rhyme. But um, And they're arguing. So basically it's a rap battle. The whole book is a rap battle between Job, his friends, and God gets in on the rap battle, spoiler alert, It's amazing. So um, I'm going to actually go through um, chapter one. I'm going to focus more on chapter one because that's kind of the intro to the, this is the story of Job. And then I'll kind of summarize the rest of the book and specifically what happens. And then we'll talk about some key takeaways. So let me start some sort of timer and I should probably pray as well. That would be a good idea. eh? (sighs) Yeah. God, we just thank you that you love us so ridiculously much. Um, We just pray that you would speak this morning through this book, that you would... Uh, convict us of things in our lives that you would teach us, instruct us, encourage us, um, and uh, help us to live the life you want us to. In your name, amen. Okay, timer has started. Eleven, eleven. Here we go. Okay, turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Joe, chapter one. We're going to start right at verse one. I'm going to spend, like I said, a little bit more time in chapter one because it's kind of the details of the story. Um, so if you don't have your Bibles, I'll kind of read it to you here. So verse one, of chapter one. There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. That's not Oz. He's not a wizard. Uh, it says he was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. We'll come back to that. Uh, verse two, it tells you he has ten kids, seven sons, and three daughters. Lots of children. And verse three, it says he was the richest person in the entire area. Uh, later in the book, you find out he was also very generous with that, uh, very hospitable. He would just t- take in strangers, he would care for the poor and stuff. So. Righteous dude, rich dude, 10 kids. Okay. Verse 6, we have like a scene change. You know when there's like a stage play and like all the people that are dressed in black run across and they grab the props yeah. and they bring out new props. <laughs> scene change. Okay. So um, we see kind of in the heavenly realms, we see this courtroom scene and we see God and this character named the Satan or the Satan. Uh, there is a whole side conversation I'm not getting to get into here, but basically it is questionable as to whether or not that is the devil that we know of or ah, Satan, because the word Satan actually just means accuser or prosecutor, which is a word that we're familiar with. So it's a courtroom scene. The prosecutor comes, may or may not be the actual devil guy. The Bible project actually has a video on this subject, on the subject of Satan. So feel free to check that out. I don't have time. Um, So basically we're in a courtroom. Verse eight, God is bragging about Job and he says that same line from the beginning. Job is blameless, man of complete integrity, fears God, stays away from evil. So we hear it from the beginning of the story and from God. And then the accuser, Satan, brings an accusation. And this is his accusation against Job. He says Job is only serving God because he's blessed, basically. So everything's going his way. So obviously he loves God, right? And Satan says, if you took everything away from him, he's going to curse you to your face. In other words, Job's love for God is conditional. It's like, yeah, everything's going my way thanks for that, God. You know, thanks for having my back. I love you. Yeah. But he's basically saying he's a fair-weather friend to God, which isn't really love at all. You know, fair-weather friends, it's like rich people, they have friends, and then when they lose everything, the friends are gone. It's like, oh, you weren't really my friend in the first place. So pause for a second. Is that us? Are we God's fair-weather friends? We live in a pretty wealthy nation, right? We live in a in a place where most of us are not on the brink of starvation. Most of us are doing relatively okay in the in the context of the global world um if we lost everything would we curse god or would we still love god question to think about it's rhetorical don't answer that okay so verse 12 god allows satan to do whatever he wants to job but so there's limitations on what satan is allowed to do he cannot hurt job himself so from verse 13 to the end and i'm just going to read it uh from the new living translation i would call this the worst afternoon ever okay For For anybody. This is just the worst. So here we go. You ready? So one day when Job's 10 kids, all sons and daughters were feasting in the older brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's house with this news. Your oxen were plowing, the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabians raided us. Bad guys, I guess. They stole all the animals and killed all the farmhands. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. So remember animals in those days, that's kind of your livelihood. That's You know, you use that for food, you use that for trading. It's your money, essentially. So he loses a whole bunch of money. And also, all of the farmhands are murdered. So even if you're like a cold-hearted boss, if everyone in your warehouse is murdered, that's a bad day, right? It's a bad day. While this guy was still speaking, a second messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven. Lightning, meteor shower, whatever, we don't know. Burned up your sheep and all the shepherds. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. So again, livelihood gone. People that you know died in freak disaster. While he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with this news. Three bands of Chaldean raiders, lots of bad guys, have stolen your camels and killed all your servants. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. Again, more livelihood gone. More people murdered. And then verse 18. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in their older brother's house. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed. And all of your children are dead. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. It's a bad day. I mean, I've seen people lose a child, and it's horrible. Couldn't imagine losing all of your kids in the same day. On a day when just so much bad has happened. It's a bad day. So, Job grieves. Note that he grieves a little differently than we do now. He did not wear a black suit and sunglasses. He stood up and tore his clothes in grief. He shaved his head and fell to the ground in worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I'll be naked when I leave. God gave me what I had. God's taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. Other translations say, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's the song. Verse 22, last verse of the chapter, it says, in all of this, God did not sin by blaming God. So did I say job? Oh, God. Okay. I was like, I can't say job. I have to say Job every time. (laughs) Job did not sin by blaming God. So notice that Job grieved and yet he did not sin. I think if any of us saw someone freak out like this, you know, ripping your clothes and screaming out in anguish, we'd be like, this guy kind of lost it, you know, but it wasn't the grief that was not sinful. Right. And it specifically says he didn't sin by blaming God. So that's interesting we'll get more into that later but um yeah just the guy basically praises god i'm sure he was crying at the time i'm sure he was not smiling when he's saying that with his hands raised dancing around you know but yeah okay so that's kind of the intro to welcome to job's crazy life okay so chapter two there's a little bit more story i'll go a little bit quicker through this stuff so we're back in heaven. God is again bragging about Job, says that same line. He's blameless man of complete integrity, fears God, stays away from evil. Adds in, and he maintained his integrity, Satan, even though you urged me to harm him without cause. And Satan comes back and says, yeah, but you didn't actually harm him. You just kind of took away all his stuff, you know. So he probably would still curse you if you actually harmed him. So God allows Satan to inflict Job with disease. It boils all over his body. But Satan is not allowed to kill Job. Uh, verse 9 is a fun one. Job's wife tells him to curse God and die. Great spouse. Um, we could run a marriage course and be like, this is what I'm not to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, Job, Job still honors God. Verse 11, his three friends arrive on the scene. And these are the friends that are kind of part of the wrap-out a little bit later: Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Always easier names to pronounce. Um, it says that they showed up and they didn't recognize him, probably because he cut his hair. Let's be real. Uh, Verse 12, they grieve in a similar way. They tear their clothes. They throw dust in the air. And then they sit with him in silence for seven days and seven nights. They sit with him in silence for seven days. I think at that point, they're being good friends. Okay, so then we get into the whole slam poetry rap battle thing, which is the middle of the book. And I'm just going to kind of summarize what happens here. So chapter three, Job curses his birthday. It's a good time. Um, and then the friends start talking to him and they'll say something and then the next chapter Job responds and then the next friend responds and then the next chapter Job responds and they just kind of go back and forth for, I don't know, 30 some odd chapters. Um, this is the, this is what happens though, is that his three friends are, these are God fearing men. Okay. You would, you would call them Christians today. Okay. They love God. All of the stuff that they're saying, if you like quote bits and pieces of it, it's like, Yeah. Yeah, God is a just God. He is mighty. He rules the universe, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all agree with that stuff. But there's just these little subtle things that they kind of put in, which is basically they're just using logic, okay? So they're going, okay, God is a, a God of justice. We know that he is a just and righteous God, okay? We know that Job is suffering. He's going through not a good time, right? So therefore, you must have sinned because God wouldn't punish you if you didn't do anything wrong. God upholds the righteous. You know, we hear things like that in the Bible, right? Um, And they're not nice about it. A couple of highlights. Job chapter 8, verse 4. His buddy named Bildad um, says, Your children must have sinned against God, so their punishment was well-deserved. Can you imagine? (sighs) Um, Chapter 11, verse 6. Zophar says, God is realistically punishing you far less than you deserve. These are not helpful. I I hope I don't have to say this, but these are not helpful. Uh, If you take anything away from today, when somebody's grieving, don't tell them it's your fault. Don't do that. Um, Along the way through all of the rap battle, uh, Job is grieving. He's very emotional. The part at the beginning where it says he didn't sin by blaming God, he does eventually kind of get to that place where he's really angry with God. Understandably so, you know, he's grieving. Um, it's funny. I was listening to some of it this morning. It's so sarcastic. Um, one of my favorite lines was Job, after one of the friends responds, Job goes, oh, how you have enlightened my stupidity. It's like, this guy gets me. I like this guy. Um, near the end, there's actually a fourth friend I didn't mention. His name was Elihu. Um, he kind of waits till they've all done their rap battle and then he jumps in and says some things along the same lines. And then in chapter 38, God shows up. And responds to Job directly from a whirlwind. And it's awesome. This is honestly some of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible. I love the burning bush um, when God says to Moses, who made man's mouth to speak? Um, And it's very similar here. Here's some highlights. Uh, God says to Job, "Uh, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Um, Have you ever commanded the morning to appear? Where does light come from? Who laid out the path for lightning? You ever think about lightning as a path that God laid out? Uh, can you shout to the clouds and make it rain? I can do the first part. I cannot do the second part. Um, and then he goes into a whole bunch of detail about some large mythical creatures. That's another whole side conversation. There's people that have spent a ridiculous amount of time studying that. I'm not going to get into that. Um, and then chapter 42 is kind of this odd ending. So first of all, Job humbles himself immediately. Okay, Verse 3. He says, uh, God, you asked who was questioning my wisdom with such ignorance. It was me. Uh, I was talking about things I didn't know anything about. Things far too wonderful for me. Uh, Verse 7 of chapter 42. God says that he's mad at Job's friends for not speaking accurately about God. Have We ever done that? Mm -hmm. God is mad at Job's friends for not speaking accurately about Job. He tells them that they need to make sacrifices for what they did. And that Job needs to pray for them. Because he's not going to hear their prayers. He's going to hear Job's prayers on their behalf. It's a little hint of some intercession there going on. Um, and uh, so, and they do, and he does. And God restores Job's fortunes. Gives him ten new children. We don't know if they're from the same wife. So maybe he forgave her. I don't know. It doesn't, we're not going to get into that. I don't care. Okay, so that's the summary of the book. Welcome to the story of Job. Extreme suffering. At the end, he gets everything back. Obviously, new children. They're always like, he gets everything back. I'm like, no, he doesn't get his kids back. He gets new kids. Let's just be clear. Um, So what are kind of the main things that we can get from the book of Job? Well, obviously, they have to start with the same letter. Otherwise, I wouldn't be good at what I'm doing. So three points to start with the letter R. And the number one is kind of the biggest and harshest, which is retribution theology is a lie. Retribution theology is a lie. Um, John chapter 9. This is about Jesus. I'm going to read from the message here. It says, walking down the street, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. His disciples said, "Uh, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, causing him to be born blind? And Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There is no such cause and effect here. Look instead for what God can do. Do not assume that suffering is a consequence of sin. Sometimes it is right you go out and murder someone you end up in jail and be like why god it's like, eh, that was you you know um but if someone goes through suffering do not assume that it's divine judgment uh here's a more pointed question when you see a homeless person do you assume that it's their fault also on the flip side do not assume that blessing means you're living a life that is pleasing to god there are plenty terrible people with lots of money. That does not mean that you are serving God. Um, Oh yeah. I wanted to read this. Uh, Job chapter one. Sorry. No, Job chapter 21. Really quick. I'm just going to read Job chapter 21 from verse 27 to the end. Tell me if this sounds familiar. Okay. Look, I know what you're thinking. I know the schemes that you plot against me. You're going to tell me of the rich and wicked people whose houses have vanished because of their sins. They got what's coming to them, right? But ask around to those who have been around for a while. They'll tell you the truth. Evil people are spared in times of calamity. They're allowed to escape disaster. No one criticizes them or pays them back for what they've done. When they die and they're carried to their grave, a whole honor guard keeps watch at their tomb. A great funeral procession goes to their cemetery. Many pay their respects and the earth. Give sweet repose. How can your empty cliches comfort me? Your explanations are lies. This is Job talking to his friends who are saying, God is just, bad things happen to bad people, good things happen to good people. Job's going, that's not the way it always works. It's not always the way that it works. I was at a kid's birthday party um, years ago and uh, there was an older person there who I was kind of friends with his kids and so we were kind of catching up and I was just asking you know, how they've been, etc., and, um, he was saying to me, oh yeah, you know, it's this one son. He has so many blessings, you know, his beautiful wife, beautiful house, beautiful kids. Great job. He must be serving God. I was like, uh, that's not how that works. That's not how that works. Um, and the thing is, it's like, I'm not saying that that guy is a terrible sinner. He, he was serving God. That's not the point. The point is, is that that's not a cause and effect, right? That's not. There are so many people in ridiculous poverty stricken countries that are way more righteous than we are. That's, that's not how it works. God is not a God of karma. And this is so subtle, this whole thing. Um, even Job's friends were talking positively about God, right? They were, they were worshiping. They were not evil, wicked men trying to, they were righteous. They were, they were not righteous, but they were, you know, religious dudes. I've heard people interpret verses and even church songs that we sing very differently through this lens, um, you know that song, all my life you have been faithful, all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. And it says your love or your goodness is running after me. I, with a different lens, I can interpret that as God's going to give me blessings. He's going to give me money. He's chasing after me to give me all these blessings. It's like that's not what that means, you know um now on the flip side you do in fact reap what you sow okay so that that phrase you reap what you sow shows up in the bible all the time yes if i sow apple seeds i'm not getting an orange tree for sure right but if you remember in the parable of the sower 75 percent of the seeds did not do their job properly right you don't always get everything that you sow um and so here's the underlying problem with this retribution theology and tim keller summarized this so well man that dude is so good at kind of summarizing this stuff. Um, He says this, if God actually always rewards good and punishes evil in this life, because he is a God of justice, right? He's a just God. But if he actually always rewards good and punishes evil, that means that not only do we fully understand how God works, us as smart people, but we also actually control God because that means that I can just do good works and be like, okay, God, pay up. I've done my good deeds. Now it's your turn to bless me. That's not how God works, right? We do not control him. We do not understand how he works. Okay, so that's my first R. Second R, reality is hard. Hopefully I don't have to tell you that, but reality is hard. Uh, John 16, 33, Jesus said, in this world you'll have many trials and sorrows. It's not a maybe, you will. The world is broken. You know, the fall in the garden brought sin and death into this world. Uh, Job's response was grief. Just remember that that was not Sinful. Grieving is not sinful. Sorrow is not ungodly. Job reacted very emotionally and yet did not sin. We do not need to pretend that everything is okay. Yeah. Man, I deal with a, a lot of young people, part of young life, but even just young adults in our group. People are just sick of fake. So sick of fake. Like, it's amazing how the world, there's more fake and people become more sick of fake. It's just the way that it goes. Um, Part of being real and being authentic is just admitting when you're not okay. And believe it or not, this connects to our previous point about retribution theology. Because if you believe that you're suffering because somehow God is punishing you for some past sins, then you're not going to tell people you're not okay. Because you're going to think that they're going to judge you because like, ah, it's probably because you sinned. So you say, oh, everything's okay. But it's not okay. And it's okay to not be okay. Remember that our hope is not in this world. That means we can go through suffering. We know that it's not the end. But that doesn't mean that suffering isn't real. Suffering happens. Yeah. Right? Okay, third R. Realize that God knows better. Don't assume that you understand how the universe works. Where were you when God made the universe? God was and still is, in fact, in control. Remember, he had to allow Satan to inflict these things. That means that he is in control. He set up limits for what Satan was allowed to do. And God did not actually inflict those things on Job. He allowed Satan to do that. Is your worship based on your understanding of God? I mean, that's a yes. Your worship is based on your understanding of God. Um, but it's based on our expectations of God. Are we saying, thank you, God? Are we worshiping God saying, thank you, God, that you gave me these nice things? Thank you, God, that you gave me these blessings? Or are we saying, oh, God, this week was a bad week. I'm not going to praise you because you don't deserve worship unless my life is going good. Right. We have to realize that God knows better. We have to hold on to mystery. We have to understand that we don't understand. The answer to the question, why do bad things happen to good people? The answer is, I don't know. That is the answer. That's the final. You guys ever seen Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? They build a supercomputer to calculate the meaning of life, the universe, and everything. At the end, the computer says 42. they are like, what? That doesn't make any sense. It's because is not for us to understand. Uh, I'm going to quote some random dude on the internet. Uh, He said this. He says, we all see how animals don't understand things beyond their intelligence, but somehow we think that humans are going to unravel the mysteries of the universe. (laughs) We, we, we can't, we are not God. We don't have his perspective. Um, and interestingly, again, Job was vindicated at the end. Think about this. Okay. This is really cool. Why did God allow the suffering to happen in the first place? We don't technically know, but why did he actually allow it? Well, it was Satan. Satan was going, Hey, we, you know, this guy, he doesn't really love you. Right? He, was trying to, he was trying to discredit Job. Right? And what happened? Well, we're talking about Job 2,000 years later. It didn't work. Actually, Satan had plans to discredit Job. God used Satan's plans to make Job famous, to do the complete opposite of what Satan had intended. Yeah. It's crazy. But think about what we sang about last week when, when um, Edwina was talking about Esther. And it's like, even when I don't see it, you're working. We don't understand. We don't understand. And that's okay. It's okay to not know. Um, Also note that Job was not in that heavenly courtroom. He didn't know that whole thing, right? Think about if we were like, oh, so there's this whole thing and I'm going to go through a test. All right, I got this. It was just like, why is this happening to me? Right? No clue. No idea. Okay. So that's our three. Retribution theology is a lie. Reality is hard. And realize that God knows better guys, I'm at like 20 minutes. This is great. We're doing great. (laughs) Okay. So our response, what do we do? Number one, we weep with those who weep. Let's be better friends than Job. Job's friends. Uh, the new Testament is so full of one another's. We've got a one another, right? Small group. Great place for that. Right? It's kind of hard to one another in this context. I'm just blabbing and you're just sitting there listening to me. Right? Small groups is a great place for that. Um, I wrote down here, I wanted to talk about how much I love this church in this moment. This is my point. I love this church. Um, suffering helps us to, to co-suffer with others. When my mom passed, that was in 2016. It was probably the biggest suffering in my life. It was the hardest thing that's happened to me. It was extremely difficult. And um, I, I had a friend, Ryan Hobson. Shout out to Ryan Hobson. Uh, he lives in the U.S. now. But he uh, about a week after my mom passed, he was like, Let's go for a run. Let's go to the woods. Let's go to Greenwood or Seton Hiking Trail. Let's just go for a jog. I was like, ah, that's, that's a good idea. I need that, you know? And so we were just chatting. He's a big nerd like me. So we're talking technology and stuff. And uh, at one point he stops and he's like, so are we going to talk about it? Or like my mom had just died, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I was like, I'd rather not actually. I think right now I just need a friend. I just need to run. I just need to talk about phones. You know, and need to talk about stupid, unnecessary things. That's what I needed in that moment. Um, you know what Job needed? He needed his friends to sit with him in silence for seven days. That's what he needed. He did not need them trying to explain why they thought he was suffering. That's not what he needed, right? Sometimes we need to just sit in silence. Sometimes we need to just run and talk about phones. Whatever your deal is, um, weep with those who weep. And that's the first thing. The second thing is we worship. Job's first thing out of his mouth was worship, right? Singing God's praises. He made the whole universe. He keeps electrons floating around atoms, and he keeps planets floating around the sun. That's the same God, okay? Huge scale. We can't even possibly comprehend. He knows so much more than us. That's why we worship him. Third thing, thank you, Tom Dunleavy, for introducing the third point. We trust God. (laughs) He knows what he's doing. He is a trustworthy God. Um, Fun fact, I'm pretty sure Exodus was like 12 weeks ago. (laughs) Our time, our sense of time is so messed up. I was like, yeah, no, what? <laughs> I'm like counting it while I'm sitting there. But um, I'm going to read a verse here from Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 to 10. This is, don't break in singing if you've been in church for a long time, okay? We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but not abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. We're going to suffer. It's going to happen, right? Um, Pressed, but not crushed. There's kind of this sense of bad stuff happens, but it's going to be okay, right? We have a God that we can trust that does care about us. We don't have a God that's going to protect us from every bad thing ever. That's not what he promised, but he is there for us, cares about us. And it requires that we admit that we don't know everything and that we trust him. And that is so hard. Um, Remember that we do not worship God based on how we feel he's doing. We're not giving him five-star reviews on Sunday with our worship. Be like, great week, God. Great week. We worship you. That's not, yeah, that's not (laughs) how it (laughs) works. We do not control God. We worship him because he's the God of the universe. The fourth thing that we do is we hope. So I just wanted to encourage some people. I have to keep remembering that there's like a bunch of other people other than there through that little black box over there. It's weird to think about. So I just wanted to encourage some people on the whole hope thing to the young people that are looking at the future, wondering if things will ever get any better. Things may seem bleak, but do not give up hope to the singles who are waiting to meet their future spouse and things seem bleak. Do not give up hope. To the parents of children who are suffering or not serving God, things may seem bleak. Do not give up hope. And to the kids whose parents are suffering, things may seem bleak. Don't give up hope. To everyone who is suffering in any way, we do not know why you are suffering. We don't know. But we are here for you. We are here with you. This is what church is for, is this is sitting in silence for seven days. That's what church is for. That's what this is all about. So in closing, what is all this? Okay. In closing, does Job's suffering bother you? It bothered me. When I first read this, this innocent guy goes through this suffering because of an argument with God and Satan. And they're just trying to stick it out. Who does he actually worship? And they're just... And they're, God and Satan aren't suffering. This Job is suffering. He gets the crappy end of that deal. It seems so unfair. But the point to remember is that in this story, Job does not represent us. He represents Jesus. Jesus is the true and perfect Job. He suffered unjustly, infinitely more so, because... Unlike Job, Jesus was actually truly completely innocent and blameless. And like Job, he had the worst afternoon, but not just in extreme physical pain and agony. Where Job felt like God had abandoned him, Jesus actually was abandoned and separated from his father. Jesus cried out like Job did, except Job got an answer of God in a whirlwind. Jesus got no answer. Job said that he thinks that he was going to die naked, but Jesus actually did die naked. But the good news is, is that Jesus was, in fact, vindicated in the end, just like Job, but more so. To those that are suffering, know that we have a God who sympathizes with our weakness. We have a God who suffered. He understands suffering, not just physical suffering, but emotional suffering, relational suffering. Jesus's friends abandoned him too. If you are not a follower of Jesus and you're watching this, I am not promising that God will make you rich or your life will be better. I am promising that God loves you unconditionally. I am promising that God actually knows that you are not righteous. He knows all of your sin and brokenness. And yet he went through all that suffering for you. And for those of us that do believe that Jesus died for our sins, don't fall for the lie of retribution theology. It's so subtle. We we do it to ourselves sometimes. Oh man, I'm going through this bad stuff. It's probably because God's punishing me because I did something wrong. It's not how God works. Even when we are suffering, God cares for us. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you love us. We thank you that even when we are suffering, you are with us. God, we thank you for a fellowship of believers, a community of people that we can be with. So when we go through suffering, we can have those to weep with us. And when we see others, we can weep with them. God, won't you just help us to maintain and continue to grow this community that we are part of? Won't you help us to remember that you are not a God of karma, that you are a God of mercy, of grace, undeserved favor? Won't you just help us to remember that you love us, that you suffered for us, that you died unjustly, unfairly afflicted, and that you were vindicated at the end, that you actually rose from the dead, came back to life to give us life. God, we fully trust you. Help us to trust you. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Cool. Well, next Sunday, we're doing baby dedications, I guess. That's a good time. So we'll see you then. Otherwise, see you at small group at some point midweek. God bless.